Well, thank you for coming this morning, church. We continue in our series in the book of Mark. So we're studying a book of the Bible. It's the Gospel of Mark. John Mark, he's writing what Peter really is telling him about the life of Jesus Christ. That's what a gospel is. It's about the life of Jesus. And we've been in Mark chapter 14. We started that last week. And Mark chapter 14 and 15 describe Jesus' betrayal, his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. What is commonly known as Christ's passion from the Latin word for suffer. Now, today's message is from Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 25. And if you're new to the church, I just invite you to open your Bible. If you don't have one, we have a bunch right back here on this table. If you don't own a Bible, take one. It's our gift to you. But it's important that you read the words as I read them, because this, we believe, is God's very word. And the title of the message this morning is The First Supper. Now, if you're familiar at all with the Bible and with this passage, you might be thinking right now, but wait a minute, Al, I thought this passage is about the Last Supper. Well, let's read, and let's gain God's perspective on what happened that night over 2,000 years ago, because what happened that night is a very significant thing indeed in the history of redemption. So significant that I want to pray again, for God to reveal to us the glories of what occurred that night. For some of you, maybe, for the very first time. For most of us, a fresh reminder of what God did that evening. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to your plan of salvation, the very gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, for those that would not know that plan, or that gospel, may today be the day that you reveal it to them clearly and they repent and believe. For those of us who do know it, Lord, that we'd be refreshed and reminded by the glories of your gospel, Jesus Christ. We pray that in his name. Amen. All right, let's read together, shall we? Mark chapter 14. We're beginning in verse 12. Mark chapter 14, verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he has told them, and they prepared the Passover. Verse 17. And when it was evening, he, Jesus, came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to one another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, he took bread 
and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant. This is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So which is it, church? Is it the Last Supper or is it the First Supper? Well, before we answer that question, we have to understand the physical and redemptive historical context of our narrative. According to verse 12a, This was the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. What is the first day of unleavened bread? And what is the sacrifice of a Passover lamb? Well, Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, written by Moses some 1,400 years earlier, instructed every Jew to celebrate Passover, and to celebrate it, they had to do it within the walls of Jerusalem. So, we know they were physically in Jerusalem. And then in Exodus chapter 12, Moses actually lays out this Passover celebration. And we need to go back there and understand it, because Passover is key here in this text. It is mentioned over four times in this text. And eating the Passover meal is mentioned three times in this text. So we've got to understand this meal that they're eating in 33 AD that Moses commanded them to eat in 1400 BC so we can apply it in 2015 AD. You ready? Let's go back to 1400 BC. On the screen, Exodus 12, 1 through 4. What is this Passover? Well, here is the Passover. Here is the redemptive historical context, which is far more important than even the physical context of our text this morning. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb. Okay, there it is. There's the lamb. According to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each one can eat, you shall make for your count for the lamb. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Aha, so it's the 14th day of the first month, because that's the day when the lamb is slaughtered. And back to our text in chapter 14, verse 12, we hear that it's when they sacrifice the Passover lamb. All right, we got it. Then they shall take some of the blood of the lamb and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head (laughs) with its legs and its inner parts. So what's going on here? According to this text, 1400 years earlier, God commanded his people to slaughter a lamb and to put the blood of that lamb on the doorposts of their house, and to eat that lamb in its entirety. Now, we'll get to why in a moment. For 1,400 years, Jews were doing that to include 
the Jews in Jerusalem and our text today in 33 AD. That's why in verse 12b, look at it with me, the disciples said to Jesus, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? They're going to prepare to eat what Moses just commanded them to eat in Exodus 12, and they weren't alone. They weren't alone. Thousands of pilgrims had crowded into Jerusalem on this fort, on this first month of the Jewish calendar, which is around the springtime. It's around our Easter time. They had crowded into Jerusalem because they wanted to celebrate the Passover there. Josephus, a Roman historian, wrote that during the Passover celebration of AD 66, 255,600 lambs were sacrificed in the temple. Josephus went on to calculate roughly 10 dinners per lamb. So from that, he extrapolated 2.5 million people were present in Jerusalem for that celebration. Now, many think that number is a bit exaggerated. First century Jerusalem probably could not have contained 2.5 million people, but there were a lot of people. Here's the main point. This was the meal of meals. This was the meal that defined being a Jew, and there were Thousands and thousands and thousands of people crowding into Jerusalem, jostling, chaotic, trying to get this meal prepared. Anticipation was high. Excitement was high. Listen, the only way I can relate this to you is take, take the anticipation, the crowding, the craziness, the going out to buy the pig out in uh, Okeechobee, Lake Okeechobee or wherever you buy your pig for Noche Buena. And all the people coming over to your house and grilling that thing and getting it ready. And you know how Miami just gets crazy on Noche Buena. People are going to buy all kinds of things and they're elbowing each other at the counter. And I got to get this and I got to get this. And it's chaotic and it's exciting. Take that and multiply it by a hundred or even a thousand. And you've got Jerusalem on Passover and everybody's got to prepare the Passover meal. Where are we going to eat the Passover meal? We got to eat the Passover meal. And that's what's happening here. Now, what's the redemptive historical context? Well, let's go back to Exodus. What are they celebrating? What is happening? What happened in 1400 BC that Moses said, slaughter this lamb, put its blood over your doorpost, and eat the entire lamb, head, arms, everything included? What? Why? Well, let's go back to the text. Exodus 12, 10. And you shall let none of it, the lamb, remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. And in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. You know why it was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Because they could not wait to have the bread leavened and rise. They were so, they were so in a hurry. So they, they ate with their shoes and their clothes on, ready to go right out the door. So it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is the Passover feast. Verse 12. It is the Lord's Passover at the end of verse 11. Verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord, verse 13. The blood of the lamb shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. That's what they were keeping that day in our text here in 33 AD. But what was happening in 1400 BC is that God's people had a promise. 
A promise given by God in 2000 BC to Abraham. He says, you are the first Hebrew. And through you, I'm going to bless the nations. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you so many people that you cannot number them. Fast forward 500 years. There's a lot of people now, maybe over 2 million, but they're slaves in Egypt, far from the promised land of Israel. And so this night in 1400 BC, God says, tonight is the night that I'm going to set you free. My plan of redemption is going to take another step forward. And I'm going to set you free tonight. And here's how I'm going to set you free. I am going to come and kill all the firstborn males of the Egyptians, to include Pharaoh's firstborn. I'm going to, I, I am God over their fertility God. I am God over every one of their gods. And this is the ultimate now curse that I'm going to bring on the land. And the way I'm going to preserve you is you kill this lamb. You take its blood and you put it on the doorposts of your house. And when my death angel comes through the city, it will see that blood and it will pass over your house and it will slay the firstborn of the Egyptians. And that's in fact what happened. And through the means of this Passover lamb and through the means of God's grace on their lives, God delivered them in what's called the Exodus out of Egypt. And eventually he delivered them into the promised land. Why? Because the promise he made to Abraham back in 2000 BC that from you will come one who will bless all the nations and I will give you a land and I will give you many, many people. That promise is moving through history, 1400 BC, moving through history, down through time. And now we are at 33 AD, our text. And they're, they're celebrating Passover for the 1400th time, literally. 1400th time. But tonight's Passover is going to be different than any other Passover because the promised Savior is arrived. The promised Savior has arrived. The one of whom we are studying right now, he has arrived. God's redemption plan to set his people free and to give them a land and to bring forth the Savior from that people. It is being realized. Jesus is that Savior. And thus he is sovereign over God's redemption plan. Point one. Jesus is sovereign over God's redemption plan. I want you to look at the text, verses 13 to 16. It's amazing what Jesus does here. I want you to imagine the most crowded stadium, the most crowded uh, 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 concert, the most crowded city, whatever. Imagine a Gator game with 90,000 fans, unlike a Hurricanes game. And you're in the midst of those 90,000 fans. And imagine someone says to you, in the midst of those 90,000 fans, forget the 90,000 fans, put yourself in Manhattan with several million people, or, 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 in, or in Istanbul with 18 million people, and, and, and someone says to you, a man carrying a jar of water is going to walk up to you in the midst of these people. Hey, no cell phones. Okay, what's he look like? Send me a picture. Can I text him? No, Nothing. That's what Jesus says. And look at it, verse 13. And, and so, because remember they said to him at the end of verse 12, where are we going to prepare this meal? Jerusalem's is packed. This is worse than Hialeah on Noche Buena. I can't find any place. Where am I going to find the supplies? Who's going to buy the, the, the lamb? How are we going to get this done? This is a very important meal. And Jesus says, he calmly says, go into the city and a guy, we'll look at it, verse 13. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar will meet you. This, this reads like a spy novel, like a thriller. Okay. 
I'm in this city with a million people. One guy's going to come up and meet me? Yes, he is, and it gets better. Follow him. Oh, great, I'm going to follow him, right? And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? And where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. So you follow this guy. He goes into a house. You just walk into that house and say, may I speak to the owner of this house, presumably a very wealthy person. And then you walk up and says, hey, uh, my teacher wants to know where our room is that you've prepared for us to do Passover. Right? Look at verse 16. And the disciples... The guy's going to show him a big room, verse 15, verse 16. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told him. (laughs) Jesus is sovereign over God's redemption plan. Jesus set it out. Listen, it's a bit clandestine. You know why? Because Jesus is sovereign even over his hour of death. And it wasn't quite yet his hour of death. You know why? Because there was one more Passover that had to be celebrated. One more before he died. The authorities would have wanted to kill him a long time ago. Either before or after the feast. Jesus says, no, no, no. I've got to fulfill this last Passover. It's very important. And so it's sneaky. I I wish I could have been there. I mean, will we see a video of it in heaven? I don't know. Way cool. He's sovereign. He's in full control. He's exercising his sovereign authority over God's redemption plan. The plan that included his death on a cross. I I love how Danny Aiken says it in his commentary. There we see our Savior in total control. Down to the last detail. As he makes his way to the cross to die for the sins of the world, he will indeed be crushed, not by the wheel of the world, but by the will of his father. And I add to that quote, because he's the lamb of God, the Passover lamb. Jesus is sovereign over God's redemption plan. Why? Because Jesus is God's redemption plan. Point two. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Verse 17 locates us now on the evening of the 14th day of the first month, the Passover meal. And in this meal, Jesus is now sharing with his disciples in obedience to all that God had written in Exodus 12, just as Jews had done for 1,400 years. But as I mentioned earlier, this would be a very different Passover meal. This would be, in a sense, the last Passover meal. Of this kind. And the meal was going great. You know, the family was over. I mean, the food was roasting out back. The guys were out there talking around the grill. You know, it was all roasted up. Everybody's inside. Everybody gets and sits down at the table. They're enjoying their beverages. They're relaxed. Everything was good until Jesus said the following words. Look at with me at the text. Very unexpected words. Verse 18. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. What? (laughs) What do you mean? One of us is going to betray you? I mean, it threw them for a loop. They're starting to say, well, don't look at me. It's not me. Is it you? Is it not? It's not me. I'll give it a count of all my, you know, I'll tell you exactly where I was. Of course, there was one there who did know, right? Why is this here? Why, why would this be here? Here's why. Betrayal, denial, abandonment surrounds this text about the Last Supper. 
surrounds this narrative. Last week we talked about it, didn't we? Mark 14, 1 to 11. It began with the plot of the scribes and the chief priests to arrest and kill Jesus. That text ended with Judas saying, you know what? I'm your man. Just give me 30 pieces of silver. I'm going to betray him. Right after this text, next week, we're going to preach where uh, Jesus actually prophesies and predicts Peter's denial. And then after that, after Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, he will in fact be betrayed by Judas with a kiss. And at his betrayal, all of them will run away and abandon him. So you've got this betrayal, this abandonment surrounding this, this text about the Last Supper, about this Passover meal. Why? Here's why. What Jesus says in verses 22 to 25, which is where we're going to focus now, not only explains his betrayal and denial, but does so in terms of God's rich redemptive plan. This is what everybody missed. This is what the Jews missed. How can Messiah die? This is what his disciples missed when starting in chapter 8, Jesus three times between chapters 8 and 14 says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be crucified. And I'm going to raise from the dead. And they kept saying, no, no, you're going to go rule. This is our time. We've invested three years. We're finally going to get promoted. We're going to be on your cabinet. You're going to rule from the temple. And he says, no, the temple's going to get destroyed. I'm the new temple. And they didn't get it. They didn't get it. But Jesus is going to really make it clear right here. Because Jesus is the Passover lamb. And what he's going to tell them is, you've come here to eat the Passover meal. And though I might be presiding over the Passover meal, I'm here to tell you, I am the Passover meal. You've come to eat, you've come to drink, but now I'm going to offer you myself to eat and drink. I know it sounds shocking, but that's what he said. Look at it with me, verse 22. And as they were eating, he took the bread, and after blessing it, now probably the blessing that he spoke over that bread came from Leviticus. I think it's Leviticus 24. It may have been something like this. In Hebrew, of course, not in English. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, or Aramaic, king of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. So he would have pronounced that blessing on the bread. And then it says in this text that he broke it and he gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. Now, if you take Luke's account and then you take Paul's account, that's right. Remember, Paul had a visitation from the Lord, and the Lord shared this with them in 1 Corinthians 13. If you put all those accounts together, he probably said, this is my body, take and, and eat. It's given for you. So he put all those together. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am the bread of life. I'm presiding over this Passover meal, but I'm telling you, this is a new one. I am the Passover meal. I am here as that Passover lamb. Then look at verse 23. And he took a cup. Most likely it was the third cup in the Passover rite. He took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. Oh, that's a great phrase. Look at that phrase in your Bible. They all drank of it. They all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. What is he talking about there? I believe he is taking Old Testament types, 
the Passover lamb whose blood would cover the doorpost so that the wrath of God would uh, pass over his people. I believe he's also taking the type of what Moses did in Exodus 24 when the law is given. Read it with me on the screen there. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant. Now go back to Mark chapter 14. Notice that Jesus says in verse 24b, this is my blood of the what? Covenant. So I think he's referring to that. It's the old, the old covenant. It's the last supper. He's going to refer to that. Then he's going to tie into that in continuity and say, but I'm going to now bring a new covenant. And my blood is going to fulfill that type of the blood in the old covenant when Moses gave the law to the people. Listen to what Moses says to them. The book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. But we know they, they weren't obedient. As David Behar prayed, we break the law. That's why there's blood here in Exodus 24. And that's why Jesus' blood fulfills the type of that blood. And Moses took the blood, verse 8. And it gets a little, little hairy here. What does he do with the blood? People are all standing there. He begins to throw it on the people. He takes, he's throwing blood on people. They're at Mount Sinai. They get the law. They're going, we are now God's people. We're no longer in slavery to sin. We're going to obey you, God, all the time perfectly. This law you just gave us. And God knew they wouldn't. So he, he provides blood. Because that blood points to the blood Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 14. Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I fulfill the Old Testament type. It is now my blood. It is blood that is poured out for the many. Just as the blood of the Lamb protected the Jews in 1400 BC from God's wrath against the Egyptians, so the blood of Jesus, so Jesus himself will protect God from his wrath that we so richly deserve. And just as that blood was thrown on the people who said, we will obey you, but they wouldn't obey him, they would immediately begin to break his law. But that blood would seal the covenant. So Jesus now blood is going to forge a new covenant. This is the blood of the covenant. And then I, I, I point you back to the end of verse 23 again. Look what it says there. They all drank of it. They were so needy of it. Every one of these men would deny or abandon the Lord. One of them would betray him for money. They needed that cup. And Jesus gave himself. Listen, when he say, take my body, he's not referring to the bread being changed in substance to his actual body. No, he's referring to himself. When he says, take my body, he's not just saying my body, but my whole being. When he's saying, drink my blood, the life is in the blood. Jesus is saying, I'm going to offer all that I am, all, everything that I am, I'm going to offer myself for you on the cross. When you drink the cup, when you eat the body, then my blood will cover your sins and I will take the wrath of God for you on the cross. This is the gospel, friends. And he did it for men who would betray him and abandon him and deny him. Peter is about to deny him. This is glorious. This is what Paul wrote about in Romans 5. This is what Jesus said when he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And this is what Paul wrote in Romans 5, 8 through 10. 
But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, and there was a bunch of sinners around that table. Let me tell you, that was not a table of merit. It was a table of grace on that Lord's Supper. But God shows us his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Justified by his blood. Not by my behavior, not by my completing the law, but by the blood of Jesus. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Do you see the marrying up Old Testament type? Being saved from the death angel in Egypt. Being saved from the wrath of God by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the Passover lamb. The great Passover lamb, the greater Passover lamb. For if while we were enemies, verse 10, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Friends, Jesus gave his life for those who would betray, deny, and abandon him. And that includes all of us, dear friends. All of us. The Lord's table is not a table of merit, but a table of grace. Do you know that grace this morning? It's found in Christ alone. See, that night at the Last Supper, Jesus instituted the First Supper, and the church has been celebrating this First Supper of the New Covenant ever since. So it is, is it the Last Supper or the First Supper? It's both. It's both. It's the Last Supper of the Old Covenant. The celebration of the Passover for 1,400 years. And it's the first supper of the new covenant. Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. Jesus Christ came to take God's wrath, to cover your sin. Listen, to deliver you from the power of sin and death in a new, greater exodus. To a new, greater promised land. By a new, greater Passover lamb. Here's the main point. Here's the main point. Jesus, the Passover lamb, is sovereign over God's redemption plan. Jesus, the Passover lamb, is sovereign over God's redemption plan. In verse 25, what Jesus does is he links in continuity the old with the new when he says, I'm not going to drink of this until the new kingdom. He's just linking the two. He says, I'm the link. I'm the continuity. One covenant now fulfilled in me. My blood. You've come here to eat the Passover meal and eat this lamb. I'm the Passover It's my life that gives you life. It's my blood that covers your sin. I take the wrath that you might enter in and be all in because of God's grace. Here's the appeal, church. Come to the Lord's table and eat the Lord's supper. The only prerequisite is need. It's the only prerequisite is need. Do you recognize your need? Those at the first supper had one thing in common. This is what they had in common. They all failed to follow Jesus fully. They all swore allegiance to Jesus, but they all abandoned him. What they had in common is what? Is that they were traitors and cowards. As am I. As are you. (laughs) But they had something else in common. They had something else in common. This is what they had in common. They all drank of the cup, verse 23b. They all drank of the cup of the Lord. And that made all the difference in the world. That's what marked them. That's what caused them to be called God's people. A Jew was defined by that Passover meal. A Christian is defined by this Passover meal. This new, new supper. The first supper. 
It's what defines you and me, church. Will you come to the Lord's table? Or do you stay away because you feel unworthy? Because you see it as a table of merit rather than what it is, the table of grace. Jesus sovereignly called you here this morning. Jesus sovereignly brought you here this morning. And he wants to reveal, perhaps for the first time or afresh and anew, your need and his provision of the Passover lamb. Jesus Christ is God's redemption plan. Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. And I pray that you would experience him this morning. Listen, what we're talking about is the gospel here. This is the gospel. God's redemption plan is the gospel. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He's the gospel. And I just want us to take a moment to carefully think through and apply God's redemption plan. To think through carefully and apply the gospel. Is there a sin you might be carrying right now? A burden that enslaves you? You're carrying it around. Perhaps you're refusing to believe or you're having a hard time to believe that you've been forgiven of this by the blood of Jesus. Then my appeal, I believe God's appeal to you through this text is to take and drink from the cup of Christ's very life. The life is in the blood. Receiving his righteousness. His righteousness. Another area that we might apply the gospel here is, is there a worry you're carrying around? Refusing to believe Jesus' sovereign control over God's redemption plan. His sovereign authority over all creation. Are you wrestling with anxiety? Staying up late at night? Is it it kind of morphing into some low-grade fear and then even anger that is killing you? Take and eat the body of Christ that you might live. Receiving his life and his peace. Let us pray. Worship team, would you join me in front? Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we would see your gospel. And for the unbeliever this morning, for the one that's not sure this morning, that you would reveal to them their great need for a Savior. And that you would reveal to them Jesus as that Savior. His blood takes the guilt and shame of their sin. He takes the wrath they deserve And gives them the favor that none of us deserve. Lord, that they would drink of the cup this morning for the very first time. Lord, Lord, here's my prayer. I pray there would be some here this morning who, who, who would say, I believe. And that you would work in their hearts and there would be a genuine conversion. And that next Sunday when we actually receive the Lord's table communion, they would participate perhaps for the first time with joy. Because they're all in. By your grace. Lord, for the bulk of us, for, for, for most of us, we would think carefully how to apply this gospel truth. It's your spirit that leads us in this. I don't know every circumstance. I don't know every situation. You do. But at the broad categories of guilt over sin and bondage and slavery to sin, and the category of anxiety that can morph into just debilitating, life-crushing fear, and even anger at times that lashes out. Lord, would you reveal yourself afresh and anew, Lamb of God. We would never grow tired of eating and drinking. And our life, Lord, would be in you. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Now why this fear? Has not the Father put to grief 
His spotless Son for us. And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for that debt of sin now canceled at the cross? Sing it, church. Sing it to God. Sing it to the angels. Sing it to every creature above the earth, under the earth, on the earth. Sing it to your neighbor. Most of all, sing it for your soul to confess what is true. Let's worship God.